Welcome to Heels in the Courtroom, a podcast about successfully navigating law and life, featuring the women trial attorneys at the Simon Law Firm. Hi, everyone. I'm Liz from Heels in the Courtroom. We're all super busy with trial prep this week, so we're avoiding burnout and dropping one of our favorite previous episodes. Hope you enjoy it. We'll be back with a new episode next week. Welcome back to Heels in the Courtroom. This is Amy Gunn. This episode, we chose a topic that we hope everyone can relate to, and that is encountering challenges in just everyday practice. And the context is that uh, four of us, while Elizabeth was studying for the bar, also its own challenge, the other four of us have been traveling around the country for the last four to six weeks attending client depositions in a mass tort litigation that we have. And it came up kind of quickly, and it was very much all hands on deck. We need to get this work done. And it was wonderful, first of all, to have everyone come together and be so put away other things that are always on the front burner to do this traveling. And it occurred to me that I have tried over the last number of years to reduce my travel for a lot of reasons. It's stressful. It takes a lot of time. There's a lot of downtime away from your family and your practice. But this required quite a bit of traveling because it was meeting and preparing our clients for their depositions. And I still believe that is a a face-to-face requirement. How did these depositions that we've all been doing the last few weeks pose a new challenge, a different challenge? And how did you deal with it? So this is Erica. And when we were flying around for all of these depositions, we were meeting with women and their spouses and talking about some pretty sensitive medical topics. And what I found very difficult was, you know, you'd land in a certain city, often a place I haven't been before, sometimes rural, sometimes, you know, not a place that was necessarily intuitive for me to navigate. And then you sit down and with your client and you have to put on your lawyer hat. But you need to you need to establish immediate rapport with your client in order for them to trust you, listen to you and make sure that your advice is getting through. And for the most part, I haven't found anyone who is excited to give their deposition nor if they're ready to give their testimony, it's still a chore for them. So the thing I found myself saying over and over again in the prep was when I could see each woman or couple was nervous, I told them that, you know, today you're sitting down with me and I am a trusted stranger. And tomorrow you're going to be sitting down with the defense attorney and they are an untrusted stranger to you. And I talked to them about it's, it's okay to acknowledge that and how awkward it might be to talk about these things and dive right in. And when I said that, it often was a little bit of a shift in their demeanor. And I think it was because that was kind of what's on their mind. You know, why am I sitting down right away and like telling you all of my personal sensitive medical things? And so that was that was one way, probably like three or four depots in that when I saw things were going not well, or, um, you know, we weren't meshing as much as I would have hoped. That's the way I kind of explained it to them and uh, was able to reestablish that rapport and get through it. Do you say that with every client or 
that you sat down with or just when you could kind of feel that they were uncomfortable? Kind of both. Like I would use it if I saw that they were feeling uncomfortable and kind of acknowledge, like, I understand I'm a stranger. But the dichotomy of trusted stranger versus untrusted stranger kind of helped them understand, like, okay, this is uncomfortable for me to say this to you today, but tomorrow I need to be even more, you know, observant of what this situation is. You know, there's a lot of things that I do in client meetings to try to build rapport. And quite frankly, it's pulling from like my own personhood can't go in there and like try to be a friendly warming person if I'm not. But I think that kind of navigating and finding the skills to build that immediate rapport was the most important thing, at least for me in getting through those depositions. I have a funny comment on building rapport with a client. I was trying to do the same things, you know, warm up to them, make sure that they feel comfortable. And about 20 minutes into what turned out to be, you know, a two and a half hour, going on three hours of prep. She looked at me, looked at her husband, looked back at me and was like, doesn't she kind of remind you of, and then they said the name of their granddaughter. And I'm looking at the clients after I'm thinking, I got this, I'm doing so good, you know, we're, we're, we're really jiving here. And I'm looking at her thinking, her granddaughter cannot be even close to my age. And I said, well, well, that's that's kind of funny. How old is she? And they both at the same time said eleven. Uh-uh. And <laughs> dead serious. And in my oh, head, I was heart. thinking, well, <laughs> I'm just gonna keep moving along here. I was like, that's really great. Um, let's kind of get back to what we were talking about. But in my head, I was thinking, wow. I mean, now I know that they're looking at me like their eleven year old's granddaughter. It turned out okay. Depo went fine, but talk about building rapport yeah. and the period of time you have to do it. That's why I spent more time with them because I'm like, I don't want them to leave here thinking of their 11-year-old granddaughter at the right. end of this Their prep. 11-year-old doesn't have a JD. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think actually, though, I think you carry that with you because you are younger and you still have that fear. You have that concern. And so it's very possible what they really meant by that is you are adorable. I trust you. You remind me of someone I love. I really am enjoying this conversation. And your mind probably went to, they think I'm 11 years old. Right. <laughs> but I think giving, oftentimes, let's, I try to give people the benefit of the doubt at least the first time. I mean, never the second time, but always the first time. So it's possible that they were thinking that was, that was the context that they were saying. Right. I just yeah. need Amy okay. there to I'll take it like that. Okay. <laughs> I had one of these depositions where the lawyer was hostile, like really rude. And it was the first deposition I had with this particular lawyer. And previous to that, all of the other lawyers had been very reasonable. So I had prepped my clients thinking that the lawyer was going to be reasonable. And this woman was not. And in the first 10 minutes, my client was defensive and in tears. And I, we took a break. The question is, what do you do? Do you return that hostility with objections and with speaking objections and that type of thing? I find if I uh, react that way, the lawyer will not take it out on me, but will take it out on my client. So you have to think very carefully about whether that's the right thing to do, depending on your client. So I did make an objection. At one point, I, I objected to it being harassing and argumentative, and we took a break. And my client was very upset and I, and I just take the opportunity to try to imbue them with power. I say, look, you are being deposed by a 
defense attorney that's been hired by a $300 billion company, okay? And you are going toe-to-toe to her, with her. And the reason why she's being so hostile to you is because she thinks you have a good case. And she thinks she has to be hostile in order to take you off your game or throw you off or intimidate you. Do not let her do that. And I turn it around and I try to say, look, this is the fight that we're in. I've been fighting for you for however many, however many years, and this is your day to do the same thing for yourself. You can do it. I know you can. I am proud of you. I have confidence in you. And I just spend a lot of time building them up and hoping that, that they walk back in the room and they say, okay, bring it on. And nine times out of 10, at least for the small time that they remember that speech, <laughs> it is effective. And in that particular deposition, after that pep talk, my client went back in with confidence and kept herself together and the lawyer backed off. So I think that the challenge, particular challenge in these depositions has been because this is a large litigation, we've not had that arc of time to the first time we met our client before suit was filed. And then we've had time to work on discovery together and come in to meet each other again and talk on the phone. This might be the first time that the lawyer has ever met the client. And it is a particular challenge to try to, in a very short period of time, prove you're competent and that you're an advocate and that you're trustworthy. But I think that having this many depositions this this short of time, it has reminded me another reason why I love what I do. Because these are women oftentimes not in the best financial circumstances, not in the best social circumstances, and they need an advocate. And that's what we do. Well, I think just kind of going off of what what babyface Timmerman, <laughs> what Mary yeah, said girl, that's right. <laughs> over here, I'm in a weird spot, I think, just career age wise, because I feel like I've been practicing enough years that I should feel confident in what I'm doing. I, I've i done this before. There's very few things that I've done now that it's going to be a first time or that I don't at least have some dabbling with. But I'm also still young enough that I, I don't necessarily have all that confidence that a more experienced attorney will carry. And it's funny, Mary, I, I had a client, um, really sweet people, and I was talking to to the wife and she mentioned to me, you know, how much her and her husband liked me and I felt really good. And she's like, you know what he said when we got in the car? He said, said that's a smart little girl. That little girl is smart. Uh-huh. And I'm thinking, little girl, I'm pushing 30. Like, at what point am I an adult in your eyes? I think the biggest challenge for me with these depositions has been the fact mass tort is just very different from what I have a lot of experience doing, which is individual cases. And so this is something we get thrown into. Like Erica said, we don't necessarily have that rapport of, you know, the meeting the client on day one, getting their story, investigating the case for them, filing it for them. A lot of these cases, when they first came into their, our office, I was still, I was a 1L in law school. And so I, I was that's just me <laughs> now being mean to Because <laughs> I've, I've been on these cases for 10 years. So. I was a law clerk. <laughs> I was in college. Okay. Elizabeth, would you like to shine? Liz wasn't born yet. <laughs> Elizabeth, just don't say anything. <laughs> At the end of the day, like I have to tell myself, I know what I'm doing. I, I'm competent. I work for good people who can help me when I when I do get a little bit lost or I do need extra help. But it that's been the biggest struggle for me is just figuring out 
you know, I don't know, finding my confidence with these cases. There's a benefit to having so many of these depositions at the same time. I'm, what, a year, two years behind you, a year, two years. So confidence for me comes with doing a lot of depositions. So I I think to the flip side too, I definitely have experienced what Liz has experienced and I still do with not having all the answers right when the client needs them and thinking you need to have all the answers when the client asks. But on the flip side, I gained a lot of confidence because I, you know, once you go through one depot, then another depot, then another depot, you just get more comfortable and you get more comfortable in adversarial conversations with other attorneys because the whole process is adversarial and you don't have to take it outside of the case. But when you're in a deposition, you know exactly what your role is, you know what you're there to do. And having the repetition of having each of these depositions, I got way more comfortable saying what I would let them ask my client about when they wouldn't, when they were crossing a line. And it was just honestly harassment of some of my clients. So I think in one regard, it really helped me with confidence because it just took away that fear. You know, I mean, I just think in my head, so what? If if they're going to ask this, I'm not going to let them ask. It has nothing to do with this case. My client's exhausted. And I felt confident enough to say that. Now, whether or not the other attorney pushed back at me, I, I also got more comfortable with that because I didn't really care after a certain period yeah, of time. Because right. most of the time, it's just yeah. And most of the time, the they record. just stopped. And a little pushback. The other thing with that, that these depositions have taught me in particular is our clients are people. They are people. And our clients don't, they don't believe, many of them that I prepped don't believe that they can stand on equal footing with a company. It's some nameless big entity that they're scared of. The questions that are being asked of them, they've got a lot of big words that they don't understand. And the challenge was that they would not think that they'd be able to have equal footing with the other attorney because it's a big company and it's little guy versus big company. So I told them, you know, this is, you are on equal footing with them. I'm there to make sure you're on equal footing with them and you can tell your story. This is your chance to tell your story. And I think that that alleviated some of that fear that they had and lessening my client's fear and growing in my own self-confidence made for a great combination and a deposition because it really, it, I wanted my clients to know that there's no question they can't answer and there's no question that if they shouldn't be answering it, that I'm going to let them answer. Um, so that kind of armed both of us with a sense of it's, it's going to be okay. It's going to be a long time, but it's going to be okay. Yeah. Part of it is taking care of them, yeah. whether that's teaching them, you know, the rules of a deposition or making sure that they're eating and, and using the restroom and doing whatever they need to do. And that's a very natural role. I think part of the trial attorney persona includes really, I've always said, you know, we're problem solvers, which I really like and I think is very true. But it's also, I think to a certain extent, caregivers. We, we have people to take care of. And I think that if you don't feel anything like what Mary, like what you've described, like, oh my gosh, I really need everybody else. Get the hell out. This is my client. She, I'm not making her get up and move. She needs to sit right here for a few minutes. And guess what? I'll let you know when we can start again. That is your, that is your caregiver instinct kicking in and it's natural. It's very natural. And, and I think it's important to not to forget that the longer the longer you practice and the more you see this and the more the more things that you survive and you see other people survive, I think that the threshold kind of goes down. 
You're like, oh, she can make it. Oh, it's fine. And but I think it's I think you have to always keep in mind the person in front of you. Don't you also think it was important that you learned in that moment, like what you say goes? Yes. Yeah. Yes. And I think that that is the hardest thing I've had to learn. And I really only feel I've learned it over the last year or two. Yeah. That whatever I say as my client's advocate goes and I won't back down on it and you can go, I mean, you can go take it to the judge and that's okay. I can be told I'm wrong that you don't need to ask permission for things. Like right. I love asking for forgiveness. I'm very good at it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's right. better. It's so much better. better. It's so much better. And I have understanding people in my life, and you know, they're yeah, understanding you know, judges. If your client thinks that you're 11, it also, you know, <laughs> yeah. they're like, yeah, watch what I can do. Everyone leaves the room. Boom. And left, and they looked at me, and I was like, yep, that's right. That's a big mic drop for an 11 year old. That's your 11 year old advocate. Exactly. <laughs> Maybe we can throw it over to Elizabeth because you're at starting line yeah so while all this was happening I was going through the last major hurdle I graduated um, from law school in May and I had really underestimated what the bar experience was going to be like for me Um, people asked me about it I guess it's the whole graduation process after finals you know are you ready to start studying for the bar I didn't spend any time thinking about it we were in trial for two weeks in May it's like I'll wait till June it'll be fine (laughs) I waited till June Yeah, it wasn't great. I spent a lot of time studying it, but I was also working, so I was pretty overwhelming. Uh, I studied in the office, which was uh, an interesting decision. Good luck with that. Yeah, it it went okay, though. I I think that I didn't think about how much of a mind game it was going to be, and it's it's a very isolating experience because while I was here, I was still just like in a room alone studying all day and then just thinking about how much this one test mattered because I wanted to be doing what all of you were doing, but I had to do, you know, two months of studying and then taking a really fun test after that. So I think that the hardest part really comes after the bar because you're just waiting and it's not very fun. And people ask you literally every single day when you're going to find out and you tell them every day. Yeah. <laughs> and no pressure, but and what, we, quick we story. I'm amazed that people were so relaxed on the morning of the bar exam because I remember the first morning, of the, the first day, I was getting ready in my hotel room and I could hear a, a girl sobbing oh, <laughs> in the God. hallway. Oh, good Lord. <laughs> Just like she must have been ugly crying so hard because I could hear her. And in that moment, all I could think of was, well, at least I'm holding it to be better together than that. that girl. So right. that that amazes me that people were so chill. What a gift. <laughs> yeah, I'm not doing the worst here. Yeah. No, uh, I had a similar thing. A guy before the multiple choice was talking and he was like, so when the fact patterns are like really long, really long, do you just not read the question and guess? And I was just kind of like... Just yes. say yes. <laughs> and then in my head, I was like, if that's what I'm working with here, I think it's I think it's going to be OK. It's relative. Yeah. Amy, you got to tell us about your what challenges you recognize from traveling for the depots. And I have a I have a question about one. How about taking the bait in a depot with opposing counsel? Oh. That's a good topic yeah. to take. I've spent many years trying not to take the bait and heavily advising people the same because I think that bullies like one thing and that is trying to get under someone's skin and the moment that you let someone understand they're under your skin you give that power away 
So it's not that I don't enjoy a good fight or a good sparring. It's just, to me, it always means that I'm letting them get to me. Not taking the bait, what, what I, I think there's different ways to do it. Number one, just ignore it. If you know your client can handle it and you've prepared that client and the type of personality that can just get through the question and it's not going to harm the record or it's not going to do any harm, then just let it happen. Otherwise, I think you can just object. And most, most of these objections really can only be to the form. We're not allowed to do speaking objections. I can't stand it when people do it to me. I try not to do it to other people. But you can object. And I will then make eye contact. I will look at the lawyer in the eye and make my objection. And I'm, I'm gesturing because I always do the hand in front of my client's face. So they, and I've prepped them on that. And I say, if you see my hand, stop talking because I've got something to say. And if it is something pretty egregious, like a lot of times in these depositions, depending on who you had, I will do that and I'll look at them and I'll object, object to the form of the question. And depending on how bad it is, I might just stop a moment and look. You can kind of appeal to people that way because I do always think, I mean, most people are doing just doing their jobs, but then I think some people are just skewed on what their jobs are. And so I think a little bit of just, let's take a moment. I'm going to object. I'm going to give you a moment to think about why I'm objecting. Think about it. And I, that is oftentimes effective. I also tell my client, you can answer that question. If you, if you really think that is something that you don't want to answer, then you feel free and have the confidence to say, I don't really understand why you're asking me that. You can answer it anyway, but there can be some pushback that is not engaging in that bad behavior. You're not being snippy back. You're not doing that. But you can, in a really calm voice, ask, I, I just don't understand why you're asking me that question. It's really hurtful. I mean, that has, it won't affect everyone, but it can affect some. And there's no harm in it. There's no harm in your client looking like, and feeling or, or expressing what they're feeling in my mind. And sometimes if it goes more than that, then I think you just take a break. And then when you're off the record, because I, I have done that a couple of times in these depositions, you go off the record and, and you do decide what to say. You, you can say, you know, I just, I don't understand. I don't understand why these depositions have to be like this. I understand you have script to follow and that's what you're trying to do. But I really wish you would think about what you're asking my client because she's a human being and then just walk out. That doesn't happen very often. It's not necessary to happen very often. But and that is a little bit of a form of taking the bait. But it feels really good. Right? It's it feels a lovely really good. form of shoving some shame. Yeah. <laughs> their way, which is a good social control. It is. I mean, I think you can do things. It's, it's just an exercise of patience, mostly this practice. And control and controlling your how you react to people. I mean, one of the things I always like to say is you can respond, don't react. And oftentimes that also has a temporal element. In other words, you just a reaction is like that. It's like the email you shoot off that you wish you hadn't. It's the snippy thing you say that you wish you hadn't. So sometimes there the trick is responding quickly, not reacting quickly, but responding quickly. And that just takes practice. You just you just take a moment and, and silence is okay. You take a moment, you can say objection and then just wait a few seconds because no one's going to talk until you're done with your objection. So it's just a technique that you can use to just get everybody's attention and then say whatever you want to say. And sometimes I find that that helps. And so I go over this with my clients in prep, in prep and I say, look, I don't object very often. 
I'm going to protect the record if there's something that I think, you know, it's a bad question and, and I just need to make my objection. But you may not see me do anything. You may see me look like I'm answering emails. You may see me look like I'm answering emails. I'm listening to every word that everybody says. But my job, as far as I'm concerned, is poker face. I think you should try as hard to be poker face as you can. I can do it. I've been doing it longer. I can do a poker face. The minute they see me agitated and making notes and objecting and talking and waving my hands around, they know they've got something. Because when this happens to me, when I'm taking someone's deposition and their lawyer does the same thing, agitated, objects, starts wiggling around their seat, I think, ooh, let's go. I got this. How many more questions can I ask? Because I know that they have to answer my questions. Right. They have to sit there and answer my questions. Um, So I tell my clients, look, you may not hear anything out of me. Don't think I'm not paying attention or not advocating for you. It's just I am very selective about the things that I object to because I don't want to give them any sense that I'm worried about anything. And mostly it's because I'm not. You're going to do a great job. And so you just you wrap it into this. I'm giving you the confidence to believe you're going to do a good job. Mainly it's because I think you really are. Secondly, it's because we're having this conversation. I'm teaching you what's going to happen here so you're not scared of not having any idea what's going to happen. I'm going to sit you here. I'm going to be here. They're going to be there. And you lay out the logistics of it. And when they walk in there, I said, I, I, I can tell you almost every question they're going to ask you. Not every question. Okay, fine. But I can tell you almost every topic they're going to ask you. You're not going to like very many of them, but you know what, you're going to know what they are. And just being educated on that, feeling like they've been there, giving them the confidence. I tell them I'm proud of you. And it's interesting, the older I get, the more, I mean, is it condescending to tell somebody older than you that you're proud of them? I don't know. I think that if a 12, an (laughs) 11-year-old or an 85-year-old told me that they were proud of me, I would be equally as as thankful to hear that. So I, I, and I am, because I can't even imagine how hard it would be to walk in the door and because you know how these things go. They they're a, they're a revictimization. All these depositions are where they have to have gone through this terrible experience the first time and then they have to sit there and answer for themselves. So I think it's just you have to understand they have to understand that you get it and that you support them and you're proud of them and give them the confidence to get through it. And I tell you what, they rise they, these ladies rise up. They rise up. And I, I, I say, you're taking on this big company and you're going to win. You're going to, you're going to, that person, you're going to answer that person's questions, but you're going to walk out of here getting through this and getting through this deposition is a win. And they, I think they buy into it. Yeah. And I will say to you that the most important thing I think my clients hear is sometimes I forget that they're like unclear how everything's going to go down logistically. And I remind them like, I'm there all day with you. I'm sitting right next to you. You're never going to be alone. You're never going to be alone. My entire job tomorrow is to be standing, sitting next to you. And I also tell them when I'm prepping, well, so I do these in reverse. I tell them that 
before we sat down today, you had all the information that you needed to get through this deposition because it's their life. And that's really true. But of course, I don't want to make myself obsolete. And then I remind them that I will be there with them (laughs) every moment of that deposition tomorrow. And that's always obviously a comforting thing, which ties back into the building rapport and building rapport quickly. It's important. Thanks for joining the female attorneys at the Simon Law Firm on this edition of Heels in the Courtroom. This has been Elizabeth, Mary, Liz, Erica, and Amy. Join us next time and visit us at heelsinthecourtroom.law. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week with a new episode of Heels in the Courtroom. Amy, Liz, Erica, Mary, Elizabeth, and Megan would love to hear from you. Send your thoughts to comments at heelsinthecourtroom.law and subscribe today 